Yo, what's going on? It's your boy Adibara Kimfemwa, aka the Beast. First and foremost, I got a big up Zach and Adam on their EPL podcast in the USA. 50 shows and still going on strong. Let me say that for the people in the back. I'm bigging up Zach and Adam. You get me? Also, man's got a big up the Force Nines podcast on SB Nation. Um, supposedly, word on the street is way better than CHN Radio. That's the word on the street. So, you know what I'm saying? I can't confirm or deny. I'm just going on from the word on the street. This is booked by Adam, in it? So, make sure you show Adam love. Zach and Adam. You get me? All right, listen. Keep it beast mode. Stay locked in. Peace and love. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 90th episode of a bi-weekly football podcast. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, is it coming home to Denver? Ooh, footy, Zach. Sorry, hockey, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> it could be twofold. I said that talking about the Stanley Cup, which is currently taking place game one in Denver between the Avalanche and the Lightning. But also, is the World Cup going to be played in Denver? That's being decided tomorrow so this is this is a two-sided one yes indeed that's a a great point so yeah tomorrow is going to be the big decision on whether we get to go to local world cup games yes at the empower field because nobody in their right mind would hold a a world cup game in commerce city at at a dick sporting goods park which holds like twelve thousand people I feel it would have to be like a D-list World Cup game to want to host it. Yeah, at Dick's Sporting goes. No offense to the Rapids, it's it's a lovely stadium, but it is absolutely si- yeah. sized for the number of supporters that the Rapids have, and that's why they moved out of Mile High. That's it. That's it. But yes, a yep. very exciting time in Denver sports between the the Avalanche and the uh, I guess the the city of Denver. Um, one could say as it pertains to. To, to footy itself um but yeah very very exciting very exciting stuff Inci- exciting indeed and you know what else is exciting 90 minutes in a football game 90th episode of the false night zach it's somewhat Ooh. poetic yes it is poetic especially for the last episode that we will be doing before taking a bit of a summer holiday uh there's virtually no important football going on this summer as many people know the World Cup being pushed back to the fall, so Adam and I will be taking a bit of a break and recalibrating before uh, next season as it pertains to the Prem and our footballing podcast. However, um, a little a little late on it, but we, we do have a Champions League final to recap today, Adam, a match mm-hmm. that happened nearly nearly two weeks ago at this point. I was I was actually in Europe during this match. I watched this match from a bar in Venice, Italy. I felt like a true, a true European football fan. So we'll we'll talk about the Champions League final and then uh, dig into more Premier League specific things. Newcastle updates. A couple questions uh, that we both have uh, as it pertains to. I've said as it pertains about three times. I got to stop doing that. Uh, a few questions that we both have for teams in the Premier League next season. And then wrapping it up, armchair pundits in ten and ninety. It's going to be a good one. We're gonna we're gonna end it on a bang for for this season. Be, it's going to be a great one, Zach. And I didn't know it was in Venice that you watched it. That's that's fascinating. You could say that yeah. Liverpool's Champions League aspirations are gondola up in smoke. 
Oh, I will say that because they did not win that match. And that is the perfect segue into our Champions League recap, as pretty much anybody should know at this point with the match having taken place uh, about, oh, it was actually over two weeks ago now. Uh, Liverpool losing nil to one to Real Madrid in the Parc du Prince in Paris, the Paris Saint-Germain Stadium hosting the Champions League final. And uh, the first talking point that I want to go over, Adam, uh, is a statistical breakdown of this game would make you think that Liverpool ran riot. Uh, the, the Merseyside club having 24 shots, nine of them on target, uh, whereas Madrid only mustering up four shots, two of them on target. Yet Madrid coming out victors, uh, which begs the question, Adam, is is this the dictionary is is this the perfect definition of a smash and grab? I think it is, and especially with the timing of the goal coming very late in the game, um, it was very clear that Liverpool were going to be creating more in this game from the offset. They came out looking at the more intent of the two teams, and yeah, I think you know when you when you throw those numbers out, twenty four shots to four, nine shots on target to two, and there's a solitary goal that decides it, and it's for the team that only had the the four shots in the whole game. That's a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think it was a little bit, and I, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I think the uh, possession statistics were a little bit more even. Um, mm -hmm. Real Madrid had a little bit more of the it's ball. Eight, eight percentage difference. And yeah, Liverpool 54, Liver, uh, Liverpool 54, Real Madrid 46. So yeah, that, that was a little bit more even. Yeah, but I, I think uh, I, used, I used the phrase when I was watching this, and I was a little bit more emotional because, of course, I'm supporting the English teams. Um, highway robbery in this game. Um, I just thought, you know, and we'll, we'll probably get into it here in a second, but Thibaut Courtois played the game of his life in this mm -hmm. in this game. They could literally get nothing past him. You could see the frustration building with the Liverpool players every time. He was just repelling chance after chance. Um, and I thought this game had a lot of similarities. You knew I was going to sneak this one in here, right? Between the Wales-Ukraine game that happened, which is actually the most important game, that has happened since we last recorded a podcast. Wales coming out Fair victorious in, in that game and going to the World Cup for the first time since 1958, but who's counting? Um, the last thing I would say is limited chances for the winning team, heroic goalkeeping performance. That was the common denominator in both of those games. Um, and both of the teams that were you know, on the statistical losing end came out victorious. Yeah, a very, a very good point and a, a, an interesting parallel there. I, I mean, speaking specifically about the Champions League, I, I always err from talking about a smash and grab when you have two teams that are of similar quality. I feel like there is this kind of connotation with the smash and grab of, you know, the lesser team one, where that's not necessarily the case in this match. Real Madrid, a fantastic side and uh, obviously, you know, was going into this match as one of the best clubs in Europe, but it, it was truly a game in which uh, if Courtois didn't have, as you mentioned, the, the match of his career, uh, we could have seen a, a three, maybe even four nil victory for Liverpool. Uh, the first, uh, there were there were two saves really that I, I think will will be very difficult to forget for both Madrid and Liverpool fans for very different reasons. The first of which was the save in the first half on the Sadio Mane shot where he cut in on his right and then caught the keeper wrong footed. Uh, looked like it was going to sail past Courtois, and he got a seemingly a, a centimeter of a finger on it to get onto the bar. And then, after 
uh, Real Madrid got that goal through Vinicius Jr., uh, the, the save on Mohamed Salah was one of the best, you know, reactionary saves I've ever seen in my entire life. And I remember the announcer on, uh, on Sky Sports saying that is a, that is a career-defining save and that is a match-winning save. Um, and so it, it was in that sense uh, perhaps a, 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 a very impressive performance defensively uh, by Madrid. As, as I said, Liverpool, 24 shots, nine of them on target. Uh, it's still not, not on target is still a lot, but a, a number of those shots were, you know, right down the throat of Courtois. So they did do a good job kind of preventing those, uh, I guess you could say like higher XG moments, but um, a keeper playing any less than uh, the Belgian did. And you're, you're not going to come out victorious there. No. And I actually had a couple thoughts about Courtois as well. The first thought is think back to when he signed for Real Madrid and the transfer that happened from an incoming goalkeeper standpoint for Chelsea, Kepa coming in at the same time to replace Courtois. Boy, what different careers those two goalkeepers have had um, contrasting since, since that has happened. And then the other thing with Courtois is he's a very established goalkeeper already, right? I think that he's, he's a player that you would expect from a Real Madrid standpoint to put in a solid performance. Benzema has been doing an amazing job this season, finally getting to shine. Um, but those are players that I would expect to. Um, so I want to just transition over to a player who I think really announced himself on a world stage in this tournament, and that's Vinicius Jr. Um, mm-hmm. Incredible tournament all around, blistering pace, um, can finish. I think he's going to be a star for Real Madrid and the Brazil national team for, for many, many years to come. Yeah, uh, the, the, the shout of who needs Mbappe was one that I think a lot of people were saying on that Vinicius Jr. goal. Obviously, fairly tongue-in-cheek, any team in the world would take Kylian Mbappe, but Vinicius Jr. is a, a superstar, an established superstar at this point. Not established necessarily in you know, the career pedigree, but in terms of his place in you know in world football uh one one thing i do want to mention on the other side of the pitch that that i thought a lot about since watching this match and kind of re-watching the highlights reading about it a lot is uh allison the, the liverpool keeper actually did not make any saves in this game as i said madrid had two shots on target one of them was a goal and the other one i believe uh, clanged against the post uh and I, I wanted to ask you, Adam, you know, t- typically when you see that a goalkeeper for a team doesn't have to make any saves, you assume that that's a that's a pretty good indicator. But I, I'm curious if that actually was to Liverpool's detriment in a way, in the sense of how good Allison's distribution is and how much of their counterattacking style can be somewhat predicated on that distribution from Allison gathering a ball and then springing that attack. And obviously, this is not something you plan for. You don't plan to absorb more shots so that you can counterattack. But I'm, I, I just wonder if there was any sort of, you know, impact on Liverpool negatively by the fact that they weren't able to utilize that counterattack that goes through Allison and then up through the wingers. It's a really good point. I, I think that you know that is certainly a tactic that they've used especially in games where they're more competitive, right? I think Liverpool will dominate possession and chances against most teams in the Premier League. Um, and, and obviously they have enough talent to do that. The difference is the quality of the defenses that they're up against here on a Champions League level. So yeah, I think you could absolutely make a case that that was something that tactically worked against them. But Klopp's a, a master technician. He's, he's a master of his craft. And 
-hmm. you know i think the the margins in this game between success and failure are so fine um courtois with the saves that he pulled off i mean one of those goes the other side of the post and you know we're talking about a different game and a different result here so I think, you know, the other side on Alice, of Allison is I don't blame him for the winner. I think it was fairly close range. It's a great finish. Mm -hmm. um, oh, definitely. I, the, you could say that not having a lot to do makes you a little bit more rusty. And obviously, um, Courtois had plenty to do in that match and then stayed super sharp. But uh, I, always, I always think of the parallel between when you have a bye week in the NFL playoffs is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Because you always argue one on the one side of it, it's good that you're having a week off and you can rest and you can recharge on the other side of it. The team you're playing played the previous week and they're more kind of like in the mindset of playing and they've played more recently. So that's always an argument I think that people will make till we're long gone. And I think the same could be said here. It's really hard to say whether or not it's a true disadvantage to Allison to, to be doing less in a game. It's the perfect topic of sports discussion because there's no one answer. And, yep. and that is the key. That is why we have a podcast is because there are questions in sports that you can't necessarily answer one way or another. Uh, but yeah, it, it was interesting. The, the kind of you know stories that you can take from this match. The last thing I want to ask you, Adam, uh, as it pertains to the uh, fourth time saying as it pertains, I told myself I wasn't going to do that anymore. Uh, the last thing I, I want to say on the Champions League Carlo Ancelotti, is he the greatest European manager that has ever coached? And the, the question is largely on four Champions Leagues now, two with Real Madrid, two with AC Milan. He's the only manager to have won a title in all five big leagues in Europe. And then, you know, all the domestic trophies, everything that he has done across the board with cup games and, and things of that nature. Uh, again, a question that does not have, you know, one right answer but certainly a any i think seasoned footballing discussing man can make a case that carlo Ancelotti, uh with this win has has kind of solidified himself as the greatest manager of all time yeah i mean you could certainly make a strong argument for it i would ask for you to clarify there though when you say the the greatest european manager ever do you mean the greatest by birth european manager or do you mean the greatest manager in the european leagues ever European football and yeah, in European football, yeah. not not by birth. That's that's fair. Yeah, I think I think you could absolutely say that he is. Then yeah, the, and he, and and he may not be. You know, look, 15, 20 years from now, I mean, look, play, managers like Guardiola and Klopp are just next level, and even even some other managers that are up and coming. Nagelsmann's another one who I think is going to have a wonderful managerial career. Um, but yeah, I think as of right now, with with that list of accolades. I mean, Mourinho's not close, Benitez isn't close. A um, bunch of other foreign managers that probably would try and claim that they're close aren't close. Zidane's won plenty of Champions Leagues, um, but he hasn't done it in all the leagues that Ancelotti has. So yeah, I think I think it's a good shout. Yeah, I, th I think that the league the league changes is what does it for me. You look at a guy also like Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, won what was it twelve, thirteen premier leagues with manchester united two champions leagues two runner-up medals but all did it with the same team in the same league and i do think mm -hmm. something has to be said for going to a new club getting the players getting the coaching staff establishing your style that yeah, it can't be overstated how difficult that is so yeah just just some food for thought yep exactly it's uh for for me i think if you're if you're changing that slightly and saying who's the greatest manager of all time 
from a success standpoint with a single team, then you're talking about Pep, then you're talking about Sir Alex Ferguson, mm-hmm. then you're yeah. talking about that that caliber of manager, right? But um, I, I, do, I do think that in terms of nothing is harder, you think about, think about your life and you think about jobs, right? Proving yourselves in different um, kind of veins of your industry or different kind of companies that are similar or even completely different is a very difficult thing to do it's very difficult to master that skill not to not to mention the language changes that you've got to kind of like adapt to there right yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so very very uh very very notable achievement for Ancelotti and we tip our cap to him as always I mean some of those games that Real Madrid pulled out I mean it was it was very clear from the moment they knocked out Chelsea that this was going to be their season it just seemed mm-hmm. seemed very much like the writing was on the cards that they were going to find a way somehow and they did Exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, I'm not sure how we transition to talking about Newcastle United after that, Adam, but uh, what a Champions League final, a fun one, despite you know, maybe a little less uh, excitement offensively than a lot of people had hoped, but uh, a good match for us football purists. Absolutely. I'll tell you how we transition it, Zach. If Newcastle win a Champions League, will you get a Newcastle tattoo? <laughs> that was a solid transition. Ah man, I I don't I, I it's funny, I was just talking with my friend about sports related tattoos and how I always have like it, it's always been a funny thing to me, people getting yeah, but but the, the Wales tattoo that you so Adam just lifted his his sleeve and showed me his Welsh tattoo. That's more emblematic though of the country as well, right? Like that's not yeah. exclusively the Wales national team. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't know. I, I do I don't have any tattoos right now. I have been thinking about it a lot recently. Um, if Newcastle won the Champions League, I, maybe, maybe, maybe something small and tasteful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get like a huge Newcastle logo uh, in in color. Maybe I'll just get a seahorse and, that, and that's it. And people have to figure it out. <laughs> you, sh- you should get a life size picture of Eddie Howe's face um, of... on your on your shoulder blade. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's a good secondary option. I'll have to mold this <laughs> over. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but speaking about Newcastle, and this this will be fairly quick because there hasn't been a ton that has happened with the tune so far in in this off season. Uh, but a couple notable things. The first of which is the confirmation of Dan Ashworth coming from Brighton to Newcastle as the director of football operations, having had the same job on the south coast. Uh, this is one that we've been waiting for, for for quite a while. It's been rumored that he has been in talks with Newcastle since pretty much the sale took place. Ashworth, for, for people who are a little less familiar with him, as I mentioned, has been working at Brighton, has kind of built up that Graham Potter project that they've had. And then previous to that, working with the English FA and largely credited with the kind of turnover and establishment of the young core that is the English national team at this point. helping hiring Gareth Southgate and getting this team to to be at the level that it is now. So Ashford does have a a pretty high pedigree in English football. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting to have a man in that position uh, who has already faced the media. Lee Charnley, I think it's been, what, five years since anybody heard from him. And Ashford immediately sitting down doing an interview talking about how he really wants to kind of overhaul all aspects of the club and that's exactly what any Newcastle club wants to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just 
uh, I, I've seen things already that have happened and, and maybe they were in, in the process of happening anyway, but there are some pretty cool pictures of the training ground, parts of it being demolished this week, bulldozers coming in um, and they're going to be rebuilding that to be state of the art. And I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the first things there. The other thing I saw in the press this week and not to get too off topic here, but the England national team is not performing very well. There's been a lot of criticism over Gareth Southgate um, after a four nil home drubbing the largest in a very, very long time against Hungary in the nation's league. Um, there's been rumors of Southgate leaving and the two favorites to replace him, Zach bookies, favorite Graham Potter, second favorite Eddie Howe, both managers that are now have now been affiliated with Dan Ashworth. And obviously Ashworth is largely responsible for a lot of the rebuild that happened under Gareth Southgate. So, um, Super interesting, lots of kind of different layers to that as as you think it through. But it just goes to show you the level of talent that this man has, the people that he surrounds mm-hmm. himself by, and the um, successes that the teams that he's been affiliated with have had. Um, it, it just goes to show how important this acquisition is for Newcastle. That cannot be understated. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think that there's any substance to the Gareth Southgate walking from the English job six months before the World Cup. But I do I do enjoy that point of the common denominator between those three men being uh being Dan Ashworth. I, th- I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing to look at. Uh okay, other things about Newcastle, Adam. Uh incomings and outgoings so far. Um there have not been many, in fact, uh, really only one on both sides. But but why don't you kind of recap where we're at with that and then also the rumored transfers uh, that Newcastle are looking at at the moment. Yeah, we'll start start without going. Um, a huge servant to the club, Isaac Hayden, has um, gone on a loan to buy basis to Norwich on a season long loan deal. So he'll be playing his trade in the championship next season. Honestly, um, I'm super grateful for everything he has done for the tune. I remember very, very well um, the off season where he wanted to move back to the capital to be closer to family. Mm-hmm. And that was very well documented. And for whatever reason, I don't really know the ins and outs. I'm sure any Isaac Hayden does. He, he may well talk about it one day. He decided to stay um, and he fought for his place and he put in a number of amazing performances for us. I think he's one of the most consistent midfielders that we've had over the last five years or so. Um, so to see him go is, is kind of sad, but I think it's, it's it's fair when you think about the quality of player that we're trying to attract and sign now. I think Isaac Hayden is is not of that ilk. He is um, he's yep. certainly a solid workhorse player, and I think it's a great move, great great addition for Norwich. I think he's the sort of person who's going to graft in the championship for them and hopefully get them back up at the first time of asking. But we'll we'll certainly miss Mr. Hayden. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that I think that he is a. Premier League fringe quality player when he's healthy. I think that, as you said, he'll wreck it in the in the championship if he stays healthy. And hopefully, uh, I personally don't want to see Norwich yo-yo again because Norwich is awful to see in the Premier League. So I think best case scenario, as as a person who does wish all the best for him, is that he has an outstanding season and gets to move back to a Premier League club uh, going into the 2023-2024 season now the the only incoming confirmed transfer for newcastle so far uh, something that a lot of us both expected and hoped uh maddie matt target on a permanent deal after his very successful loan spell at newcastle uh sounded like it was about 12 million pounds with uh, a few more million that was associated with the loan 
Um, but yeah, really, you know, savvy, firm, and logical piece of business for Newcastle uh, to, to get in a player who has proved himself in the, the Eddie Howe uh, style, uh, a little bit of attacking flair. Not, not I wouldn't describe him as, you know, a, a wing back necessarily, but he, he certainly can go forward and, and very good on the defensive end. Uh, and so, yeah, a, a good first piece of business. Um, okay. Uh, and sorry, just seeing, ooh, end of regulation for the Avalanche. This game's going to overtime, Adam. Um, very... Very, very exciting. The Avalanche just had a power play with a minute and a half left and were unable to capitalize. Anyway, uh, one incoming, one outgoing so far. Transfer rumors, though, uh, a few big ones that, that we were uh, talking about back in January uh, and have yet to come over the line. What do you have to say on that? Yeah, I think that the two main ones here that have received a lot of press attention are Sven Botman, um, who we were heavily linked with in January. That's the saga that drags on and on. Um, it's starting to look like he's preferring AC Milan as an option. And just shows mm -hmm. how far we've come, right? That we're we're even linked with a player like this. And then he's like, maybe I'll choose AC Milan over Newcastle. Like this. We've we've come a long way, let's say, in the last yeah, in the last six Pretty months wild. or so. Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 really cool to see us. But again, I think that that's probably gonna be his preferred team that he wants to play for he'd continue to be in the champions league if that were to happen i understand that i i get it um i always thought that was a bit of a stretch what's not a stretch is hugo ekatike um i think from reams i think that is a, a definitely a step up for him he's not playing in the champions league right now um definitely some serious concerns with him though about some injuries um he tore his hamstring in february of this year sat out a decent portion of games still managed to put up a good number of goals in Liga. Um, but but unfortunately now is again injured due to a hamstring injury um, he suffered while playing with the France under 20. So here's my question for you, Zach. Is this another Callum Wilson situation? And not in a good way in that we're signing somebody that's going to be sitting out a good portion of the season on the bench. I think there, there's reason to believe that. The one, there are a few, a few things about Ekatike that I think kind of differ him from Wilson. The first of which is that he has 11 years on Callum Wilson. Ekatike, only 19 years old, Callum Wilson uh, on, on the wrong side of 30. Uh, so typically with players that are earlier in their career, younger, you know, you'd hope that the ability to heal from the, such injuries uh, is, is a little bit higher, the ability to bounce back, you know, younger, leaner muscles, so on and so forth. Uh, the other thing is that I am not sure, like when, when we got Callum Wilson and when we've seen all these injuries that he's had, he has the entire time he's been at Newcastle been the one option, right? Like Joel Linton was there, but as we now know, is not a striker. Uh, whereas if Ekatike was coming into Newcastle, I, I think there would be far less pressure on him, especially with a healthy Wilson, however long that might last. So I think it would be worth a punt, especially with, and I hate to bring this up, but you know the, the amount of money that Newcastle does have to play with at this point in time. But I, I do agree. I, I think you have to trust that the doctors are really looking into how severe are these injuries? Um, how much do we think this is going to, the, the likelihood of this continuing to happen? Uh, but from what I read, uh, this injury, this, you know, as you said, kind of like re-aggravation is not as severe as they had initially thought. So um, it does appear that there are still pretty serious discussions to get him to, to Newcastle. Yeah, agree. And I, I think if the signing does go through, I think that necessitates us signing a second striker. 
in this window. I think if you were to bring in like the Darwin Nunez signing for Liverpool, holy shit, what a signing that is, right? If he was the only striker that you were bringing in, I think that you're okay, right? Because you're not you you're signing a proven goal scorer. I think with Akitike, you're signing potential. Um, mm-hmm. You're signing you're signing kind of a young player who's not proven really outside of Liga um, in his career and isn't playing for his national team right now. Um, so I think you probably need a second body in there, especially with the injury concerns if if it does end up materializing. Absolutely, yeah. With that, without a doubt, you you'd have to kind of back that up. And I, I think even if Newcastle gets a Katika, there there's probably a high probability that they still go after another striker because then you have really two strikers on the books. Dwight Gale might still be there in the fall. We will see, but he got zero time under anyhow, so uh, not sure really what that means. Yep, I agree. Well, that that wraps up our Newcastle segment. Not too much happening really outside of the Ashworth and Target signings, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about here in the coming months. And uh, when we we do come back for our season kickoff episode, uh, we'll be talking certainly about new players that have come in, as well as our predictions for the new season, which hopefully involve, I should say, Newcastle finishing in a European qualification place love to see it would love to see it okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we will go over a few questions that we have uh have come up with for uh some teams throughout the Premier League so we'll be right back all right we are back with the second half of the false nines this is episode 90 I am your host Zach Pensack alongside my friend Adam Goffin uh Adam big questions for the Premier League I really wanted know you to get creative and and kind of go in any direction you wanted with this so uh start us out here what is a question that you have uh, a big question that you have going into this offseason yeah so we we touched on just before the break darwin nunez being a new signing um potentially a massive signing for for liverpool um and we're seeing i think somewhat right now a little bit of turnover at liverpool you know they've they've relied for so long on mane salah and Firmino. We saw Luis Diaz come in in January and light it up for them. So um, the other rumor that's been happening from a transfer standpoint is Sadio Mane exiting the club during this transfer window and following Divock Origi out the door, who um, went to AC Milan. So my question, Zach, is assuming Sadio Mane does leave, with him and Divock Origi headed out the door, are Liverpool in a better or worse spot following the signings of Diaz and Nunez? I think they're they're in a much better spot, uh, and that's taking nothing away from either Origi, who is a, a certified cult hero for for uh, for Liverpool, having scored the winner in the Champions League, as well as Sadio Mane, who who is a true club legend. Like Mane, uh, at times was the best player on that Liverpool team uh, for stretches of times, even with uh, Mohamed Salah there. Uh, Mane has been a, a really really consistent uh, performer for them. But I, I think with with Diaz, you know, we've already seen him slot in incredibly quick into that team and uh, proving that he is exactly what they needed and, and really fit that style. And with Nunez, you know, who knows what's going to happen? He, he's making a huge jump in terms of league domestic quality from the Portuguese league to the Prem. Uh, but a player that there are a lot of people I've been talking about for the better part of six to eight months and showed it in the Champions League, especially against Liverpool. So I, I, I'm looking at Diaz and Nunez and saying that those are two players who are first names on the team sheet, uh, whereas with Mane and Origi, you had 
a starter and a player who is never a first name on the team sheet. Uh, so I think in, in terms of net, uh, Liverpool has improved or, or will improve if, if all four of those moves happen. Oh, three of the four moves have happened. If, if Mane leaves and it's kind of that two for two. Yep. I think, I think I tend to agree with you there. Um, some quality players and obviously younger players as well, I think. So the future's bright there for Liverpool with those two. The other huge signing um, alongside Nunez in this transfer window so far is, of course, I mean, potentially in the future, the greatest player slash striker in the world, Erling Haaland, coming to Manchester City. We've been talking about where he would go for a long time. It is now confirmed Erling Haaland to Manchester City for a bargain uh, 60 million euro release clause in his contract in Germany. Um, ma- massive signing for Manchester City. So my question to you, Zach, is Manchester City's top single season goal scorer in their Premier League history is Sergio Aguero with 26 goals. Can Erling Haaland and his amazing goal scoring form surpass that number next season? Can he do it? Absolutely. I think he can. Will he do it? Uh, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to look at a player coming to the Premier League for the first time and and thinking that he will have that big of an impact in his first season. I think what I'm really interested about is how Manchester City plays with Holland. Uh, When you watch Borussia Dortmund uh, playing kind of a similar style of football to Liverpool, obviously there are similarities there. Jurgen Klopp, you know, being the obvious one. Uh, and so I, I think that Holland not only is immensely strong, he's incredible with both feet, but he's also rapid quick and and really likes to play on the counter himself, something Manchester City doesn't particularly do as they're a team who typically has the, the lion's share of possession. Uh, but Holland is also an incredible finisher, a poacher of the highest class. So uh, will, will I predict he breaks 26? Probably not, but would I be surprised if he did it? Uh, absolutely not. I think I'm exactly there with you. Um, he's certainly <laughs> got the, the quality to do it. And he's only 21 years old, which is the other crazy thing about Erling Holland. Five-year deal yeah. at Manchester City. He's going to have plenty of time to really adjust and adapt to the style of the Premier League and potentially blow that record out the water in the future. Yeah, it's, he is unbelievable. <laughs> he's really an insane player. All right. Well, um, I'll turn it over to you. What do you got on your side? And we'll come back to me a little bit. Both of my remaining ones are more on the other side of the table related. So what do you got for me? Yeah. So I guess to kind of like slowly go down the table, then uh, I have a question about teams a, a couple below the the quality of Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, those are the, the teams that finished fourth and fifth this season, uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. And the question is, Adam, you know, as we saw that season end, Tottenham ending it on a fantastic note, getting that the historic win in the North London Derby, solidifying their place in the top four, uh, and Arsenal kind of you know falling at that final hurdle just seemed to run out of steam. What do you think Arsenal needs to do this summer in order to keep pace with their North London rivals going into uh, next season? They need a world-class striker in, in my eyes. Mm. Lacazette leaving on a free to Lyon, Aubameyang in the January transfer window leaving for Barcelona. I mean, they've lost two incredible players um, and incredible goal scorers when they're in form in, in those two transfers. So I think that the rumors in the press were that they were interested and are still interested in signing Gabriel Jesus for Manchester City. But now I've also read this week that with Chelsea, Chelsea's ownership changing and Chelsea potentially having their transfer sanctions lifted soon, 
they may also be in the market for Jesus as well. I don't know what the better fit is really there in terms of players. Probably would be, I mean, they still got Lukaku at Chelsea. So Jesus wants to start. He wants to play. I think he would be a more natural starter at Arsenal. Maybe that's the transfer, but you and I have both said this a lot in the past, Zach. I mean, I don't think he's, he's the out and out striker and that's, that's why he's being let, let to exactly. move on to city. Exactly. I, that, that's the thing is like when we did see success out of him, it was as this like right-sided forward slash even a, even a winger. And I don't think that he is an out-and-out striker uh, in any real sense of the word. So uh, I agree with you, though. I think that is the biggest need for Arsenal. I do think back line and I, I think really the spine of the team is what needs to improve, maybe without Aaron Ramsdale, who had a fantastic first season at Arsenal. Uh, but yeah, between the, the center of their defense, between the, the kind of know center of midfield uh and and then up top i i think that you you do need to get more quality right down the middle of that team and a striker is obviously one of the most important things so do i think jesus is the right guy i don't uh but i'm not really sure who they would go after that, that does fit that you know that category of a, a top top level striker you have you know Lewandowski going to buyer or going to Barcelona, it sounds like that he would, I don't think, ever really go to a team that's, you know, not participating in the Champions League. So that's out of the question. Holland is done. Nunez is done. You know, I'm not sure really who else there. And Lukaku is is not going to go to Arsenal. So uh yeah, I'm not really sure who else is on the move this summer that would that would fit that. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I would say immediately if you if you took it'll never happen, but if you took Harry Kane out of the sports team and put him in the Arsenal team immediately Arsenal have the edge over their rivals. Um yes. that would be a that would be the sort of caliber of move that would that would make a difference there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yes, I, I agree. They they pretty much need to they need to get a striker. They need to figure that out or else I, I don't see them keeping pace at all. Um and Spurs mm-hmm. have, have Spurs have been very impressive so far in the summer. It, it looks like Kulisevsky is going to stay on a permanent Eves Basuma I think is a great signing. Uh, for Tottenham, uh, firming up the the middle of midfield, uh, and they, you know, they're they're just making and uh, uh, even Perisic. I love that signing for for Spurs and reconnecting with Conte. Uh, so yeah, making moves for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, I think let's let's keep going. I guess <laughs> almost estimating the the kind of league finishing positions of our talking points today. You probably <laughs> you, you yeah. probably got the next one. I'd say. I, I, I do. Yeah, I do. So my second question, another team that's been really active in the, the summer transfer window so far, Aston Villa, really impressive to me, uh, having already signed three players that I, I think right off the bat, you're expecting them to start for Villa in the fall. Philippe Coutinho coming on a permanent deal after his loan. Diego Carlos from Sevilla, that one shocked me. That's a fantastic signing. The champion mm-hmm. or a Europa League winning defender, a Champions League participating defender. And then uh, Babacu Kamara, a, a player from Marseille that's been really highly touted. Newcastle being connected with him as well. Uh, a, kind of a, a, a center center midfielder type uh, in his own right. So uh, between a, those three signings. Free. On, on a free. On a free. On a free. Exactly. That, that, yeah, that has to be mentioned as well. Uh, between those three signings and the quality that that Villa already has, how high do you think they can go next season? I mean, if we're aiming for Europe, they have to be as well, right? I think Europa League finish, um, something akin to probably West Ham over the course of the last two seasons is definitely where they should be aiming. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not 100% convinced 
that Gerard is the right manager to get them. There. I agree. And as we've seen, yeah. as we've seen, as we've seen before, you can have the best players on paper, but if you don't have the best coach to kind of take take advantage of that and get the best out of those players, it doesn't always work. But hey, I, I would take having them versus not having them. And they've made some quality signings already. So in answer to your question, I think the ceiling probably is a Europa League finish for me. I don't see them cracking top four, um, but certainly an exciting time to be a Villa fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that you're right. Like Jared, there are definitely still questions around him, but there is, yeah, there's a lot of quality on that team. I think Ollie Watkins is going to continue to improve next season. Uh, Emiliano Martinez has has been really good for Villa. And actually just brought, it, brought in Robin Olsen from Roma. So have a lot of quality uh, now between the sticks. But yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see if we're kind of going neck and neck with them going into this upcoming season. Yep. Agree. All right. Well, you could make an argument here on our final three Ooh. talking points of which one yeah. we're doing next. Leeds or Everton? Where do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, this is good. I, I had no no knowledge that it was going to kind of fall this this cascade down the table. Um, let's go with Everton. What what is your okay. Everton related question? Yeah, sure. I mean, after after a season in which they survived by the skin of their teeth, what does Everton have to do this off season to avoid being another relegation battle next season? They have to be a team. They they have to play as a team as they did at the end of the season. Uh, I mean, we saw under Rafa Benitez that it was a collection of individuals on the pitch who not only seemed to not really want to play for their manager, but didn't really want to seem. And that is the end of the Colorado Avalanche game. I don't know if people oh, no. can hear my roommates screaming. That is a win for the Colorado Avalanche. I must, know, be like, I must be like 20 seconds behind you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I just ruined it for you, Adam. Oh, I'm lit- I've literally got it on here on ESPN. Oh, that's I'll hear your live reaction. Was it nice that goal? is beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> it was. An there overtime is. win as well. One nothing. What a what a what a terrible set of podcast hosts we are for our EPL podcast. But you know what? This is huge for the state of Colorado and the city of Denver. So massive. Yeah. Love huge seeing win, Tampa Bay win. lose. Yes, four four three victory, a thriller for the first game of the the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, okay, I, I guess uh, j- jumping right back into it, Adam. Uh, yes, they have to remain as a team. They have to show that cohesion they they showed at the end of the season. And I think they will not be in relegation trouble next. Um, the quick follow up question: There is Lampard the man? No, but I think he's good enough to avoid relegation. Uh, I think he's the transitory manager to kind of get them out of this little funk and and get them, you know, going forward. Uh, I guess like Lampard hasn't shown anything to make you think that he can't be the man. I, I think that I really don't blame him for what happened at Chelsea because I think it was a horrible appointment, uh, forcing him to kind of take on a massive role at the club that he spent nearly his entire career uh yeah i he, he has not proved that he is or is not the man but i i think to stabilize the club he is a perfectly fine guy and at that point they unless he is really you know overperforming expectations they will probably move on yeah i think he earned the opportunity after keeping them up i think that's fair to say and, and i agree that he won't be necessarily the the manager in the longer term um but i think they're in very much a rebuilding phase right now um 
Richarlison is probably going to be on his way this summer if he has any suitors for the amount of money that they're asking for him. Um, but, you know, Brazilian international certainly should attract some interest, if not from the Premier League, from other leagues. Yes. Yeah. I, I would think that there will be a number of teams looking at him. But, there, there I mean, there is quality. Anthony Gordon is a really talented player. Uh, mm-hmm. Everton does have a number of players that they need to kind of move on from. I think Michael Keane is a pretty terrible center back for one. Uh, Pickford, unfortunately, is good enough. So mm-hmm. there, there are definitely pieces there that they can use. And DCL, we, we talked about Arsenal a few minutes ago. What about DCL to Arsenal? I mean, that's not a rumor at all. That's just me throwing that out there. Is he the caliber of player that could go to Arsenal and, and turn their fortunes around? I don't think he gets them into the Champions League. I don't think he's the back that you put their team on. Although, like, I don't think necessarily they would need a player to just shove the entire team on them. A ton of quality. Um, but DCL, I mean, talk about young strikers who have mm-hmm. had pretty horrific injuries. I don't I don't know. I don't know how big of a risk you take on him right now until he shows that he can play an entire season um healthy. Yeah, I, I can see that point. Yeah, he he certainly had some recent in, injury troubles, but on his day, he's quality, man. That, that's the sort of person if you're a Frank Lampard you want to keep at the club. Yes. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Uh okay, going down going down the table. I, I got the next one, Adam. Uh this is working out perfectly. Another team <laughs> that narrowly avoided relegation was Leeds United in, in thrilling fashion, uh saved by the American hero that everybody knew they needed in their manager, Jesse Marsh. <laughs> uh so, very similar question, actually. Um, will Leeds need to replace their quote old guard? as I would call them, in order to achieve survival again next season. What I mean by old guard, Adam, is uh, three players who, when healthy, are consistently starting for Leeds. Luke Ayling, Liam Cooper, Matthias Click, all players that got them promoted to the Premier League three seasons ago, uh, and all 30 or older. Uh, and a complaint that I have heard on the back of Marcelo Bielsa was the unwillingness to kind of drop these, you know, the, the, the guys who had, had been there, done that, really uh, been these club legends. But I, I think with particularly like with Ailing, it's quality. With Cooper, it's health. With Click, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that personally, Leeds might need to kind of like, you know, scrap the legends, if you will. And I'm curious if, if you hold a similar opinion. Yeah, I think, you know, not somebody that took them up from the championship, but a player that I would kind of lump in there in terms of who I think they need to move on from to is Rodrigo. Um, he's been garbage in the time that he's been there in the Premier League for the also north of 30. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, Bamford can't get healthy. There's a lot of problems at Leeds that need to be sorted out this summer. And, you know, they've they've got us they've got to find the key to the defensive side of the game because that's something that we've continued to talk about for two seasons and they haven't figured it out yet. Figure out how you make them a more solid defensive unit. And I think you, it, it requires complete overhaul, not just the players that you mentioned. I think that you're, you're really going to have to try and hang on to those players that are so talented. Rafinha, um, rumors about him leaving. I think if he leaves, leads go down next season. I think no doubt in my mind. Um, I, yeah. I think there's even, even, if they, even if they get like 60 plus and reinvest. I just don't see that happening. I, I don't I don't mm. think they have the capital to do it. I mean, they they've been in the season, they've been in the league for two years now. I mean, Dan James is really the only marquee signing that they've made, right? I mean, 
I like I like Brendan Air. I like American international Brendan Aronson coming it's from one, uh, from Long Beach Salt Lake. It's one for yeah. the future. I, uh, I mean, he, he he's performed actually quite well for Salzburg in the Champions League. But I, I see what you're saying. The, the reinvestment, I think, is everything. Because Rafinha almost definitely will leave. And uh, they they have to be smart. They have to essentially try to do what Villa did last year after selling Grealish, but do it more successfully uh, than Villa, who who really, you know, had had disappointing output from the three players they, they bought uh, with that Grealish money. They might need loans to do it. I think uh, that's, that's that's certainly something that wouldn't surprise me if they hit up the loan market of some of the top six teams. I think that's that's a possibility for them to to tide them over while they try and get a little bit more capital in the door. Mm, definitely, definitely. Okay, Adam, the the bottom of our our, our hypothetical Premier League table. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what do, you, what do you have to ask me about a, a recently promoted club? Yeah, let, let's let's take a moment to celebrate first. Nottingham Forest, twenty three years ago, was the last the time. Tricky they were... trees, baby. <laughs> Forest last in the Premier League in nineteen ninety nine. Go up via the playoffs. Um, great to see. Fantastic to see against Huddersfield, a team that have fairly recently been in the Premier League. So nice to see Forest go up there. My question is, can can they realistically? stay up next season and how much of it is contingent on their investment so admittedly i don't know a ton about nottingham forest besides the fact that as you said first time in the premier league in 23 years uh can they stay up i i think they kind of has have as good of a shot as as brentford did this past season in terms of a team that is not flush with cash by by any stretch of the imagination but um if they are to stay up, it's going to have to be on on really good managerial decisions, good recruitment, uh, and the ability to at least keep a few of the pieces that got them there. Uh, I, I think it's it's going to be a tough task. I know that one player uh, who has been pretty important to Nottingham Forest in their promotional campaign, Jed Spencer, is being Jed Spence, excuse me, is being rumored uh, on a move to Tottenham Hotspur uh, for I don't think it's a, it's that huge of a sum, maybe seven eight million. Uh, but I, I think that's that's always the one of the hardest things for newly promoted clubs, right? Is is not letting the big clubs come and kind of come in and sharp uh, your top players. Well, I, I would I would completely disagree with that statement because the clearly the most influential and best player for Forest in their championship season was Brendan Johnson, um, Welsh international, twenty one years old, scored goals in the last two international games against Holland and against Belgium. You know what he did? He put a goal past Thibaut Courtois. You know who couldn't do wow. that? Liverpool in the Champions League. The entire Liverpool team. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Brennan Johnson from Wales is better than the entire Liverpool. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, that's good. Good product <laughs> of association. But, I mean, he joking aside, he would have left Nottingham Forest had they not gone up. He's a super talented young player. Um, he'll be the one to watch. And I... I I'm remiss to say this here because I'll probably be playing against a few of our listeners. But if you're if you're getting a fantasy football team set up for the Premier League for next season, Brennan Johnson should be one of the first names on your list because he's going to be cheap and he's going to do a lot of great things next season. The other thing I'd say about Forrest is not just a Welsh superstar on their team, a Welsh manager as well. Steve Cooper is somebody who I have sung the praises of on this pod many, many times before. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic manager. Took Forrest, Zach. From taking over in about a third of the way through the season from the relegation zone to the playoffs 
to promotion in the same season. Cannot be understated how big of a transformation he has made at that club. And if there's anyone that can do it, it's Steve Cooper. I put him up there in terms of talent managerial-wise with Graham Potter, another phenomenal manager from Swansea. I love it. I would love if I would love if Nottingham stayed up. Again, I, I'm all for the teams that aren't the yo-yo clubs. You know, I want Fulham to go right back down. I don't want Norwich to come back up. Uh, I guess West Brom type in in a way is kind of becoming a yo-yo club. But uh, yeah, it would be amazing if, if Forest stayed up. I'm a big Welsh Welsh international fan. So and and I'm going to do fantasy this year for the first time. So I will buy uh, oh, Johnson. I appreciate that. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> There you That's go. There you go. Don't be in my league. Guys. In my in my league, Zach. That's fair. I I will yeah. abstain from that. Okay. It's all right. On to armchair pundits, and I'm gonna claim first here because um, I think there's a nice kind of transition from what we were just talking about. Here's my armchair yeah. pundits, and it pains me to say it. Sunderland will get promoted to the Premier League next season. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Yep. What what is yep. so so two things. What is the rationale and why does it pain you to say it? Pains me to say it because obviously they're Newcastle's biggest rivals and we've taken great pleasure in them being in the depths of League One for so long. I think four full seasons in League One that they've just escaped it. Um the reason I think that they'll get out of it is because I have a lot of admiration for the manager that they've brought in. They were struggling from a defensive standpoint in League One, and they brought in Alex Neal, who I'm sure you're familiar with, most notably from his time at Norwich. Very underrated manager. Has taken teams up in the past, took Norwich up via the playoffs from the championship. Um, Hamilton Academicals in Scotland, lesser-known team, but he took them up as well. And now he's taken Sunderland up, and I watched that League One game against Wickham in the playoff final. Sunderland dominated it. As a Newcastle fan, the better team won. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I hold my hands up and say it. Um, not only has he got a very strong defensive style, he's got that high press that we see a lot with Eddie Howe's teams and a lot of attacking energy and some just good players in there, to be honest. Um, completely outplayed Wickham and thoroughly deserved to go up. And I just feel as though now that they've there are so many kind of near misses for them coming up from League One that I feel like now that they've got that monkey off their back, they're going to kick on. And I think they'd go back up to the Premier League at the first attempt from the championship. All right. Yeah, I, re- I respect that. I respect the, you know what it took for you to, <laughs> to make that prediction. I See, I welcome it. I think that would be fantastic because Newcastle has not had a derby since, you know, since Sunderland went down. And I, that's something that I do miss. Obviously, Newcastle's in a much different place than they were last time the two teams were both in the Premier League, both of which were, were fighting to, to survive with shoestring budgets and whatnot. But I think it would be, it would be really cool, you know, just for the narrative of it all to have Sunderland back up. So, you know, why not at this point in time, let bygones be bygones until they're in the Premier League. <laughs> and, and hopefully by the time they do come up, we're massively strong and we spank them home and away. Exactly. 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 All right, cool. Well, I, I guess a easy transition for me here to another team that you and I both very severely dislike. Uh, from Sunderland to Manchester United. Manchester United, Adam, in my my armchair punditry this episode, I think they will, again, miss out on not just the Champions League, but the top five next season. Hmm. Okay. Go Let for those it. words sit. Let those words sit. Uh, so big news out of Manchester today. Paul Pogba officially going back to Juventus. 
on a transfer deal. Now, I think a lot of Manchester United fans probably welcome this because the relationship with Pogba had soured quite severely by the end of his time there. Uh, but Pogba is a world-class player when he is in the runs of forms that we have seen him have, even at Manchester United and certainly at Juventus prior. I think it'll be a bigger miss than people might expect right now, just in terms of the options and the ability to have a player that, again, when he's on his day, remember earlier this season, he had four assists in a match, can completely, completely unlock a defense. I also think that uh, whereas we see these new manager bounces that come in midway through a season, that's not necessarily the case all the time when a manager comes in going into an off year. Now, it is obviously to the advantage of uh, Eric Von Hogg that he will have or excuse me, or Ten Hog, that he will have the ability to kind of rebuild the team over the course of the summer. But I certainly have my concerns of can he, you know, handle the bigger stage that is Manchester coming from a much smaller club in Ajax, obviously a successful uh, historic club, but a club that plays in a much different league and uh, kind of a much different level of competition. And I still think there are a lot of issues at Manchester United. You have a ton of players that I don't think are there at the quality. Um, pretty much our entire back line uh, is, is, could be replaced and I think could be bettered. I think that you're going to have to figure out how Bruno Fernandes can get back into form, how he can play with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Jaden Sancho is a player that never really hit those heights. Uh, so I just think there are, are too many question marks for Manchester United to really get back at it immediately. And too many teams that are good enough to be above them. I think that the top four, as I'd predicted right now, Liverpool, City, uh, Tottenham, and Chelsea, and then could Arsenal pip them again? Could you know West Ham continue with their great run of form if they keep Declan Rice and add on a few more players? Who knows? Yeah, I think West Ham struggles next season. I think West Ham will struggle to get back into Europe. I think they're they haven't made any changes yet. It'll be interesting to see where they strengthen. Um, and obviously holding on to Declan Rice is, is key for them. But to your point around Manchester United, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that's that's a, a fairly solid statement. Um, the one thing I want to talk about because it just it got highlighted for me the other day on social media is Paul Pogba's transfer history, right? So he comes through academies, um, plays in in France, starts, goes to the Manchester United under 18s moves to the reserves, and then he basically gets moved on on a free transfer, goes to Juventus in 2012. So Manchester United lets him go on a free to Juventus. Fast forward four years later in 2016, they buy him back for 115 million US dollars. Mm -hmm. Comes to the end of his contract, goes back to Juventus on a free. Um, not confirmed yet, but highly likely that that's, that's what's going to happen here unbelievable like you think about worst transfer deals in histories around a single player manchester united have let this guy go in a free twice he's played terrible for them for the most it's part so he's funny. Been it, and <laughs> and that, that, that's it. like let's all let's all laugh at manchester united for once right like that's part <laughs> of the appeal to it all yep exactly and they paid 112 million to get that same player that they let go four years earlier back into their team and he, he's played better for juventus and france than he ever has for manchester united it's it's crazy that we can we we could be looking at a summer in which two world class players go from an Italian team to a British team and then back to that same Italian team for far less than they were bought by the English team if the rumors not even rumors but if Romelu Lukaku also goes back to Inter Milan in some sort of 
loan or even cut rate, you know, cash, cash and player type deal. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. The, the Pogba thing is is pretty hilarious. And again, like Manchester United is a team that everyone likes to laugh at because they are by far the, the most successful team in, in English history. I would agree. All right. So to wrap the pod then, 10 and 90, I chose first last time. Would you like to go first or second for this set? Hmm. All right. Well, I, I will say, Adam, all of mine are hypotheticals this week. So do you prefer to, to get creative or do you want to toss out your, you know, your what I assume to be more analytical, you know, fact related questions first? Let's get the boring stuff out the way then. I'll, I'll do I'll do my facts first. Um, I think you'll right. enjoy this one, though. Um, your subject for today, Zach, is Erling Holland. Oh, I love that. I love Erling yeah. Holland. He's he's there, fantastic. There you go. <laughs> All right. So some of these are a little bit off off base, not really super involved with I think any of his accomplishments as a footballer. So I think you'll, you'll enjoy some of these. Um, first question: True or false? Erling Holland once scored ten goals in a competitive game. Has to be true. Has to be true. If not more than ten. <laughs> See, I knew I'd get you on this one. He's actually only scored nine is the most he's ever scored, so it's false. He scored nine for Norway under 20s in a 12-0 victory against Honduras. I wish I wish that you gave me a chance to guess who he scored nine goals against. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. pretty amazing, though. We're 0 for 1. You're going to love this one. If you know this already, I'm going to be so sad, but I'm, I'm going to say that you probably don't know it because it's a very obscure fact. What Guinness World Record does Erling Holland still hold? Oh. Uh, uh. Oh, man. I don't know. I know that uh, in terms of obscure world records, who was it for... Is it Callum Hudson-Odoi who... There's a, there's a, a an academy player for Chelsea who holds holds the record for <laughs> the world's quickest round of hungry hungry hippos. I think it's Callum Hudson Odoi, <laughs> but I don't I don't know the uh, the early Holland world record. What what is that? Uh, you 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 could be here for days and not get this. He as a five year old now still currently holds this the longest standing long jump for a five year old in history. Really. So standing wow. still and then jumping as far out in front of you as you can, he jumped 1.63 meters. I'll translate that for you. It's about five and a half feet um, in front of him. So he still holds that. And the backstory to it is from a very early age, Alfinga Holland wanted to get him as much exposure to competitions, sports, different types of athletic endeavors as he possibly could. Um, and he excelled at the long jump. So <laughs> yeah, 1.63 meters is still the world record in the world record. That's it. That's incredible. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a great fact. Also, I was wrong. It wasn't a Chelsea, Chelsea youth player. It was a Manchester United youth player. It was, remember Axel Tuanzet? Remember he, yeah, when he course, was coming yeah. up as like the next, yeah, he holds the record for <laughs> quickest game of hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, like, yeah. how do you realize you're good at that game and then reach out to the appropriate people to? Yeah, exactly. Con exactly. <laughs> that's, yes, <laughs> that's, I think that's the better question of the two. But uh, <laughs> uh, okay, that's a, that's a great fact about Holland. I love that. All right. Th this one you may know. Um, where specifically was Erling Holland born? Oh, in Manchester. Incorrect. He right? was born in England, but he wasn't born in Manchester. 
Oh, no. Oh, interesting. It was, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more guess. Okay. Close to Manchester geographically. He wasn't born in Liverpool, was he? He was not. He was born in Leeds. Ah, okay. Was it when yep. his father was playing for Leeds? Before mm -hmm. his father played for Man City? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so he was born yeah. in Leeds, England. And obviously, he's opted to represent Norway at an international level. That sucks. Um, but he's been with them since the age of... Well, he's, he played for them since he was on the under-15s. So he's basically moved his way up into the senior national team. And a mm -hmm. lot of that is due, due to his father having done so in the past. He's uh, followed his father in more than one ways in his career so far. Indeed. Indeed, he has. All right, question number four. Um, this will be a fun one for you. Sort these Premier League players from tallest to shortest. Oh, I love this. Dan Byrne, Erling okay. Haaland, Edward okay. Men Mendy, okay, and Peter Crouch. Oh, toss that again. Okay, Dan, yeah, Dan Byrne, Erling Haaland, Edward yeah. Mendy, and Peter Crouch. Is Peter Crouch over six foot seven? I've got all Dan the height. six you, foot so seven. I can... uh, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll go with I'll go with Dan Burn is the tallest. Okay. Burn Crouch Holland Mendy. You got one of them the wrong way around. Peter Crouch Ooh. is six seven. Dan Byrne is six six. Alex ah, Ingram. that's see, I I, I criticize them the Chronicle because every every single every single time you read about Dan Byrne, it says six foot seven. I'll give you that one. Then you you got pretty close. Holland six five. Mendy is six four. Um, but yeah, yeah. The surprising thing here is just the height of Holland. Right, he's he's up there with. If Dan Byrne is six six or six seven, he's Dan Byrne is absolutely the tallest player in the Premier League, and Holland isn't maybe an inch maybe two inches off of him so why why do you think they call him the terminator he's he's Thanks. fast he's immensely strong and he's a giant yeah i mean he's he's the perfect physical specimen yep for for our casual listeners i think they'll be surprised to hear that um and obviously we'll be interested to see how he does in the premier league as a result all right last mm -hmm. question this is a fun one what is erling holland's favorite type of omelet is it a Denver omelet? <laughs> I don't know what a Denver omelet is. You have to tell me what's in it, and then I'll tell you. Ooh. Yeah, I just know that that's something that exists. Uh, what is his favorite type of omelet? Uh, what two, are other two, types of omelet? Two, two ingredients. Egg. Uh, I will. I'll, <laughs> There's eggs in it. Okay, no, egg. no. We don't, we're not uh, counting. Two, okay, two omelet, ingredients omelet in the omelet. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Let's go with uh, let's go with bacon and um, bacon and bacon and uh, and beans bacon and beans omelet. You'll you'll not be surprised to know that you've got that one wrong, Zach. Uh, his you favorite can. is ham and cheese, um, and the reason we know this is because it was the first thing that he requested Manchester City's chefs at their stadium to make for him was a ham and cheese omelet. Okay. I like that. Okay, very good. I'm, I'm bummed. I got the pig part of it, but I missed that on the cheese. <laughs> you did, yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you half a point there. So, get, get the pig. All right, last one for this season, Zach. Pronounce this Welsh word. I've been saving this one. It's such a good one. You may need to write this okay. down. I'm. Yeah, I'm okay. ready. 
S-P-I-G-O-G-L-Y-S. S-P-I-G-O-G-L-Y-S. Spigolish. <laughs> it's Spigoglis. Okay, all right. That's yeah. that's exactly what it looks like. All right. Yep, yep. And, and this uh, means summer. It's not. It's a, it's a potential other ingredient that Erling Holland could have put in his omelet. It's spinach. Oh, good. You got it. That's my favorite ingredient. But in my there you go. Omelet, so I like that. <laughs> oh, God bless. <laughs> that's a, that's All a right. One. Yeah. So I thought I thought you'd enjoy some of those Erling Holland ones. Definitely not related to his achievements in the world of football necessarily. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me where has Erling Holland gotten arrested, and I know the answer is a nightclub in norway so i, was, I did I was not know that. that there's also a yes. rap video from when he was 16 years old with two of his friends that exists um i've seen that bored, you've seen it yeah that's a good one to watch listeners if, you, if you're yeah. bored it has it has nothing on the memphis to pie video the memphis to pie rap videos are actually pretty sick but yeah the early college one is not um <laughs> no he's uh, a little bit a little bit too young to be putting that out there exactly yes yeah, he has yet to figure out his his rap style at that point um True okay cool all right uh questions with very little theme if not any theme there are there is no theme to my questions adam except for the fact that they're all completely subjective uh question number one uh who do you think would be the most impactful addition to the newcastle side of players that we have been linked with this summer Hmm. Um, great question. I think Lucas Paqueta, um, very closely like followed by Victor Osimhen. Um, I think those would be the two players that have been linked that I think would, would add quality in the areas which we need it in being attacking creative midfield and then as a striker. Um, I love the idea of Paqueta. I think the link between him, obviously having played at Leon with Bruno um, and obviously doing the same thing in the national team as well. I just think there's a natural understanding, not to mention the fact that they're best friends um, mm -hmm. to get that on the pitch at Newcastle. Um, think about Leon, right? They're a team that's performed and gone deep into the Champions League in previous seasons. So these are quality players. I think he would bring something that we lack when John Joe Shelby is not on the pitch in terms of um, attacking threat distribution, creation of chances. Um, and I, I think he's a massive, obviously, step up on on Shelby as well. So Paqueta would be the the standout name for me there. Yeah, give me a midfield three of uh, Guimaraes, uh, Joe Ellington, and and Paqueta. But, oh my god, that'd be insane. Brazilian that'd trio. Be that'd be that'd be phenomenal. Yeah, love that. Yeah, uh, keeping it with Newcastle. Question number two, Adam. What would Eddie Howe need to achieve in his time as Newcastle manager to go above Sir Bobby Robson among club greats? Oof, I don't think he can. Um, if he I, wins I the Premier League. Sure, okay. I don't think he's going to be at Newcastle that long to be able to do that, personally. Um, I think he'll get a few seasons here for sure. Um, but I don't think that we'll be, be challenging for the title in the next two to three years. I think it's going to take a while for us to build to build up to that. You know, people always say that Newcastle fans have unrealistic expectations. You heard it here first. We're the richest club in the world, and I don't see us challenging for the title in the next two to three years. We've got a lot of catching up to do there. So what could he do? Sure, win the Premier League. I think that's the, the obvious answer there. But, I mean, he's just, I mean, 
for me, I've, I've read Bobby Robson's autobiography. Um, he basically is a Geordie legend. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I don't think it's understated to say that he'd have to win the Premier League to be mentioned in the same breath as Sir Bobby Robson. That answers my question. So yep. good. Yeah. I, I, I get where you're coming from there for sure. Uh, question number three, <laughs> who is your least favorite player in the Premier League? It was Paul Pogba. I couldn't stand Paul Pogba. Um, I, okay. <laughs> I go on, I go on rants about him left in the Premier League right now. Least favorite player. Um, that's tough. I had a lot of hatred for Paul Pogba. Um, Hmm. Let me come back to that one. Let me think on that one. Okay. That that's totally fair because my next question kind of like fits nicely. Uh it dovetails. Uh, question number four, who is the most overrated player in the Premier League not named Declan Rice? <laughs> yeah. Uh I'll be honest with you. I've softened on Declan Rice. The, the, the ruse is up on the Declan Rice <laughs> hatred. <laughs> he's, he's a good player. Okay, I said it. Um, yeah. He's the most overrated player in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Romelu Lukaku right now. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. that's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair one. I like that. Yeah, I think um, I just, I, I feel like he's better than he, or he thinks he's better than he actually is. Um, and he owes a lot to his supporting cast whenever he's he's doing well there. Scores a lot of penalties as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Wales Wales always have his number. That is go true. on, Brendan Johnson. That is true. Brendan. Um, Come on. <laughs> so we'll go back to least favorite player in the Premier League. Hmm. Um, I don't like Granite Xhaka a lot. I think it would be a push okay. to say he's my least favorite player. I, I, I've never liked the fact that he's a dirty player. Um, some is. of the comments he made after the Newcastle game, just basically throwing his teammates under the bus about how poor they were. Guess what? Granite, you were piss poor as well. Um, I think he, he just doesn't seem like a great team player and just seems like a really bad apple, rotten apple to me. I like that. I thought you were going to say Pickford, but I, I like that pick. Yeah, pick, Pickford I, I thought about too, but I mean... He's just he's so insignificant at this point with Everton being such a lowly <laughs> club that yeah. very good. Nice. That's that's solid. Okay. Very good. I like that. Um okay, Adam. Question number five, and this will be by far your favorite question in 10 and 90. And you'll you'll have to try to keep it short here. Uh why will Wales get out of the group stage of the World Cup? Was the question why will they? Why will Wales get out of the group stage of the World Cup? So you're telling me that you think they will? Is that a fair? Statement? I'm 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 not telling you that, but I'm asking you why will they get out of the group stage? Quite simply, because they're better than the United States and Iran. All right, <laughs> that that is a simple answer, I suppose. Yep, um, that's 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 my feeling. Is that they have a bigger core of players with more experience than the U.S. do, and obviously Iran. I think we're all kind of taking for granted that they'll finish bottom of the group, but you know. I think England will win the group despite all of the problems they're having right now. And I think it's up to the U.S. and Wales. And that first game of the World Cup is the U.S. Crazy. versus Wales. It's going to be a critical game in that group. we got to come out the blocks really strong there. 
there's gonna be there's gonna be some money put on that game between you and I, Adam. Uh, we gotta watch that game together. Never never mind money on the game. We gotta watch that oh, game together. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if I can take that tension, but it'll it'll Come it'll on. be something regardless. <laughs> it'll, it'll be te- it'll be tension on both sides. It, U.S. have got a good young team, so let's just see. It'll be interesting to see what the ceiling is for them in the World Cup. Yeah, I think it largely depends on health, um, considering how many injuries there are, they've had. But kind of kind of does every year with every team. So anything could happen, I suppose. Absolutely. All right. Well, those were fun. I like those. Yeah, those were those were good on on both ends, and a good way to wrap up the season. Number ninety, can't believe that the ninety episodes of this podcast over, over the last four years, from the time that there were there was an episode, I think it was episode three. I got zero listens on on SoundCloud, uh, <laughs> so so we come a long way from there. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you, listeners, for listening. We're we're averaging now, I'd say, about two hundred downloads each episode. So. Solid super happy and, and and our largest listening contingent is in the united kingdom so um thank you to all our uk-based listeners love doing this for you guys and um hopefully you enjoy listening yeah we will uh yeah we'll we'll be back with a, a fresh exciting season next year and um that's been a good one and i hope everybody enjoys their nice summer holiday as you say in the uk indeed indeed enjoy the sunshine wherever you may be yes until next time Footy. Peace.